It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. Today on the podcast, we're examining the use of cannabis versus opioids for the treatment of pain and what life can look like on the other side of the pill popping haze. Our guest shares his personal journey from chronic pain to craft cannabis and the power of plant medicine in finding hope and purpose no matter where you are right now. Danny Merce-Sloat credits using and growing cannabis with saving his life and seeks to give back as much as he can to this amazing plant. Since 2014, Danny has steadily built the Alpenstash craft cannabis brand through his meticulously bred in-house cultivars, several of which are cult favorites among Colorado cannosaurs. If you or someone you love is struggling with chronic pain and opioid dependency, This episode is for you, but it's also for anyone feeling stuck or needing encouragement to dive into a purpose-driven life. And Danny shares his mission of making cannabis cultivation fun, affordable, and successful for the canna-curious home gardener. So smoke them if you got them and get ready to be inspired. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I love a good story, and you've certainly got one. You know, it was one of those life gave you lemons and you made lemon OG Kush <laughs> sort of a thing. So I want you to tell us about your journey to cannabis. Start wherever you where your story begins. 
Yeah, absolutely. So two weeks after I turned 21, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night with uh, pretty bad stomach pains, um, was hospitalized for four or five days, uh, you know, workup and all that, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong, but they discharged me with, uh, I was still having pains, so they discharged me with a script for Vicodin and uh, follow-up appointments, and uh, after a few months of that, you know, daily Vicodin and for the pain and, and not figuring out what it was, the gastroenterologist pointed me in the direction of a uh, physiatrist, uh, a pain doctor, to try to figure out what was going on. And uh, my first appointment with this pain doctor, so this I initially was hospitalized in September, and this was uh, sometime around the beginning of the year. Um, I, the pain doctor uh, put me actually on uh, fentanyl, both the patch and the lollipop. Um, this wow. was back in, yeah, this was back in uh, 2003 or 2004, and I didn't know what fentanyl was. You know, the opioid epidemic wasn't a thing yet, although certainly the groundwork was being laid for that. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea, um, you know, what I was getting into. I, Growing up, I had had uh, pretty bad asthma and had a lot of experiences with doctors and hospitals, and they had always been positive, so I also had a pretty blind faith in medicine. So uh, I did what the doctor recommended and started taking the fentanyl. So the preceding years were pretty much uh, an opiate haze and, you know, lots of doctors I had in uh, trying to figure out what was going on. I had injection therapies. I had nerve ablations. I had, you know, obviously all the physical therapy and, you know, massage therapy and all that to try to figure out what was up and, and, and a way to fix it. Um, during that time, I developed a nerve impingement syndrome um, in my arm, so it was going down uh, my whole arm. Uh, more injection therapies and uh, more pain medication. Uh, pretty soon, I was taking medication for the side effects of the pain medication, mm-hmm. a prolonged use of it. I was taking medication for the side effects of those medications and so on and so forth. I also, in this time frame, developed a non-cancerous base of skull tumor that required a pretty decent surgery to get out. So suffice it to say, uh, in 2000, by 2009, uh, my life was pretty much just, hey, medication, doctor's appointments, and staying in bed. Uh, I didn't... And how old were you at that point? How old were you? At that point, I was 28 or 29. Wow. You know, all said and down around eight or nine years kind of in this Uh, medical limbo. My 20s were figuring out who I was and this exploration and yours were 19 different prescription medications. And, and do you, and that tumor, did, did they even tell you what they think that was from? Was it from all of the medications they'd been pumping into you? You know, the tumor is is called an acoustic neuroma. It it grows off actually off your balanced nerve in your inner ear and attaches to your auditory nerve. And um, that's one of those things that happens. I had a second cousin that had it, had one, okay. so it could be genetic. Okay. But, you know. I just feel like the pharmaceutical the industry and, you know, it yeah, took away you know, these formative years of your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I even worked during these times I worked for, uh, that pain doctor, he was doing some stem cell research and I was, you know, doing a lab tech job. And, and so I had experience with these different pharmacy reps and, you know, and even the, like the swag that they make 
for hardcore narcotics, uh, you know, looking back on it, it was it's pretty, I mean, the whole thing is pretty crazy. But I definitely, you know, I found myself, I guess, in a different way during those times, too. Yeah, of course. So um, in 2009, you know, I was super desperate. I, I really had been, you know, become so sick of where my life had been, and I had such optimism that I would get better someday, but I didn't know how. Um, my that blind faith is good for us, isn't it? That blind faith uh, was extremely necessary, actually, I think. I think so, you too. Know, I, yeah, being being optimistic the whole time uh, allowed me to, when things started to improve, uh, allowed me to take advantage of that and recover very quickly. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so my dad, in 2009, suggested I try medical cannabis out of, you know, kind of nothing else to do. That's when it was really available. Um, yeah, because you were born and raised in the Boulder area, right? So, you know, it yes. was it's more normal there than most places. Yeah, definitely. Um, there wasn't a ton of stigma attached uh, to cannabis in general. I had some internal stigma. I mean, I was a child of the D.A.R.E. generation. Um, yeah, me too. And although, yeah, and although those pressures were external um, to the same amount, uh, that many people across the country and the world experience it. Um, they were still there, and and that actually is one of the reasons why, uh, leading up to this point, I hadn't really uh, had much experience with cannabis. I had smoked some in high school, I think, like a lot of people, especially in this area, and then a few times between high school and the age of 29. Uh, but really, I had I was hesitant to try cannabis because I had had negative experiences and some. Uh, and I think those negative experiences were uh, at, at least enhanced by the idea that um, cannabis is bad for you. That mental subconscious like fear just kind of floating around and you're just feeling something new. It's different. And you go to panic mode instead of curious mode. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the irony was, is, I mean, I was taking, you know, at that time, what was uh, more than a lethal dose of fentanyl in a 24-hour period, but of course I had built up a tolerance, and I was fine with that. I was fine with whatever a doctor gave me, but uh, I was hesitant with cannabis. That was insane. So your dad introduces you, you're 29, and he's like, son, like, let's try this medical cannabis thing. And then what happened from there? Yeah, so I actually got my card in September, um, and uh, it took me a little while because I was hesitant. Um, so I went to my first dispensary in November and got some got some cannabis and went home and tried it. And uh, I was with a really good childhood friend who had a lot of experience, and he pretty much was like, you know, it'll be okay. We'll just go slow. You know, we'll do some fun stuff. And so I had like a good mentality going in. Um, and I, to my surprise, I found relief, uh, not only from the pain that I was having, but also from the uh, being sick and sort of uh, ill mindset. That mental anguish. Uh, Yeah, that mental anguish. And and it gave me both physical, uh, well, physical, emotional, and and spiritual breathing room to say, you know, hey, I can do things that I can lose myself in in a good way. I can get out of this, you know, anguish um, 
and I, I can have room. I can have a break, a physical break from the pain too. So with my optimism that was innate, uh, all of a sudden I got hope and pretty quickly from there, um, was able to get myself off of all the medications and, uh, get back to slowly, but get back to, you know, normal activities that I enjoyed, such as hiking and rock climbing. And pretty quickly, um, you know, I was at that point over 190 pounds and, uh, growing up, I had always been like 125, 130. So I was able to get back down to, you know, a similar weight, 135. To your fighting weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I was able to get that back down to my fighting weight. Um, the first dispensary, my first purchase that I had, uh, came with a free clone and I had always found gardening therapeutic. And so I figured I would, you know, take care of this plant. And once I found how healing cannabis was for me, I really devoted myself to, uh, growing at that point and seeing what I could do. Um, and that gave me a reason to get out of bed uh, taking care of plant gave me, you know, put me in, um, you know, made me get active again. Gave uh, you some purpose. Moving, yeah. Getting purpose. Exactly. And so for me, uh, in the end, the growing of cannabis was as therapeutic, if not more so than the consuming of it. And, and the other thing is I realized pretty quickly on that this was super legit. Uh, like I said, I had my doubts, um, you know, just about cannabis before. And once I realized how legit it was and how well it worked for me, I thought, you know, I don't really have any, you know, career skills. I don't really have any uh, plan like that. Um, if I can dedicate myself to growing and grow the best, highest quality product I can, I think that one day there will be a really big market for that. And so I, you know, shifted pretty much all my mental focus and energy to that goal. I love this story so much. I have chill bumps. So I know that you're an advocate for people learning how to grow at home. So in the beginning, when you were learning, you know, what were some of those apprehensions or, you know, there's always that level of anxiety, but what were some of those early setbacks perhaps and struggles that you had growing cannabis? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I did everything wrong for a really long time. Um, Part of the reason I lost so much weight is because I had, uh, you know, really overpowered whites. You go to a grow store, you say, I have this budget, you know, and back then it didn't really matter if you were a home grower, um, you know, or a commercial caretaker. Uh, you know, they, they recommended a lot of stuff that, you know, looking back on it now that I know what I'm doing, I you know, I wouldn't and I didn't recommend when I worked at those stores. So I had overpowered whites creating a lot of heat. In a really small tent, I had plants that were way too big. I was working in 90-plus degree, you know, 9,200-degree heat. Uh, my first harvest uh, was in the winter. I had cold air from the outside blowing directly on the plants. Um, they hermaphroditized, seeded everything. Um, uh -oh. I mean, I spent, yeah, I spent, I, I think it probably took me about a year um, to actually get a harvest that was decent at all. So, I mean, I made, you know, every, I think pretty much every mistake you can make, which was super frustrating at the time, but was a, an, a great learning experience and you have to fail in order to learn how to succeed. I absolutely agree. And I always think it's important 
for people to hear that from someone who, you know, is a successful grower, you know, with a with a business that, you know, we all start as complete amateurs, not knowing shit from Shinola, and we're going to screw up a lot in the beginning. Absolutely, and you you screw up and you make mistakes down the road too. I mean, once I got into a commercial space, a commercial facility, I made a whole new set of mistakes again and had a big learning curve again. And you know, still things happen. I mean, you know, one of the one of the aspects of growing that I uh, really enjoy so much in in the pursuit of quality is is that it's you never have a perfect round. There's always something. I mean, you know, for example, one time we had some next door neighbors at our facility that were scientists and they uh, were sealing a wooden table with linseed oil and they piled the rags in a in a corner overnight and that is a big fire danger and I guess they spontaneously combust so a fire started at about 4 a.m. Uh, in the adjoining unit um, triggering, the, triggering the sprinkler systems uh, and the emergency lighting and if you know anything about growing cannabis having uh, light on during the dark period is one of the worst things you can do you know, the, the lights flipped on for like four or five hours. You know, the fire department didn't know where it was coming from. They busted through our doors, uh, ran all through our unit trying to find the fire, and then went, you know, realized it wasn't in our unit and went next door and put it out. Um, you know, there wasn't any really damage to the to the building, but, I mean, that was just, it's just things happen that are both in your control and things happen that are outside of your control that it, it's like a pursuit of perfection that you never really achieve and yeah and I think I learned that early on because I'm from a farming and ranching community and you know with farming you just you never know I mean it's you're a fireman you're just there to be like okay what's the issue today and you got to be on your toes all the time all the time and yes I mean you you know you, you never stop learning you never stop excelling and trying to do better and, you know, if you can do 1% better every round, you know, in 10 rounds, you're 10% better. And that's the difference between an A and an A+. plus. Yes. So you just, you know, uh, I, I and, and a lot of people say this, but, you know, being successful at pretty much anything, especially uh, in the pursuit of a passion, but also as a business owner, you know, it's not about succeeding. It's about how you come back from failures and how you learn from mistakes and being stubborn about that. Absolutely. And the other thing you said that I wholeheartedly agree in is with the micro progression. If you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to, you know, grow your business, it's about setting these really small attainable goals for yourself and letting yourself get 1% better or 1% lighter, you know, like whatever that is. But, you know, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to be great really fast or to get skinny fast or whatever this thing is. And so, you know, I just think when we're kinder and gentler on ourselves and allowing ourselves to make these mistakes and grow, you know, you look up one day and you're like, wow, I remember just a couple of years ago, I I didn't, I was burning cannabis. I was frying them with these, you know, plants. And now I'm like making some of the best cannabis in the Boulder area. Like, you know, it can happen really quickly when you turn around and look back on your progress. Absolutely. And that's so important in in all aspects of life. I mean, you know, one thing I see so often, um, you know, is is people with weight loss, you know, they do extreme diets and they have 
really they want fast results so they instead of putting the work in and having it a slow but steady race they do extreme diets and they might lose weight but it's unsustainable and as soon as they come off those diets they yo-yo and you know gain that weight right back and a lot of times even more and no matter what you do the road to mastery over anything is effort and time you can have talent that can help you towards whatever goal you want but that's not going to talent will never ever beat hard work and dedication and consistency so, yeah and consistency absolutely and that's been one of the hardest lessons for me personally to learn you know especially when i had um spent so many years with nothing um there were like no skill sets um you know no real you know dreams or goals and then all of a sudden i'm back in the world and trying to you know catch up to my peers and with a perceived idea of where I need to be, you know, society, societal pressures and, and things like that telling me where I need to be and learning that where I need to be is where I am and I'll get there in my own way and that will be real uh, has been one of the toughest and most important lessons that I've learned and sometimes I continue to learn. Yes, Danny, I love it. So I want to know, when you started taking cannabis consistently, you got off of all of the prescription medication. What happened to those stomach pains? Uh, that's a really good question. So uh, in this preceding time, um, I actually had eventually found a possible diagnosis uh, for the stomach pain. It was a hyperactive immune system. And so um, my body was actually you know, attacking a, a muscle group in my stomach, and I took is really ironic, but I took uh, Tagamet. The drug Tagamet actually can help settle your immune system. So I took Tagamet. Um, once everything settled, that actually went away. But I, what I was dealing with still was, you know, all this nerve pain um, and, you know, re surgical recovery from my tumor. And the ironic thing is, is now this is better understood, but opiates are actually contraindicated for uh, like muscle pain of an unknown origin because for a couple of reasons. Um, first off, the stagnation that they cause just generally in life is not conducive to healing muscle, muscle problems. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, being stagnant. I mean, I was literally in bed, you know, sometimes 24 hours for days at a Oh, yeah, your muscles were atrophying. Yeah, and they're falling more out of place and, you know, sitting the new smoking is just terrible for you. And so... That's one one reason why uh, my pain had persisted despite taking opiates. The other thing is, is if you have something going on and, and you have chronic pain, um, your body's trying to tell you a signal that sending you a signal that something's wrong. And the more you block that, the more it actually physically diverts more of that nerve pathway to pain. Yes, you're and muting so, your body. The the volume it's screaming at you, and you're just like mm, mute. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just, but it's still turning up. So you keep hitting that mute button, and but it's still turning up. And that mute button is, for me at least, was more uh, medication, you know, opiates and other things like gabapentin, uh, antidepressants, you know, all you know, all that stuff. And so when I eventually, when I did get off of it, um, the combination of being active again, getting into shape, you know, lose, losing the weight that that causes issues in joints and stuff like that, but also just uh, not being on opiates was the cure for the problem. And by the way, I think that I had developed this nerve impingement issue because I was on so much opiates. I was sleeping so deep for 16 plus hours a day without really tossing and turning uh, like a normal 
sleep pattern, you know, like you normally do. Mm -hmm. I think that over time, I compressed that area in my shoulder neck. Um, so I, I, that I makes a lot of sense because I'll wake up. Yeah. I do that, and then I wake up, and my arm is completely dead asleep, and I have to like pick it up and like roll over. You know, it's like you've just completely pinched everything off. Yeah, and I think you know over you know however three or four years of just you know deeper and deeper you know almost anesthetic like sleep. I just maybe I was predisposed to it, maybe I wasn't, but I I think that that's what caused it in the first place. Wow. Okay. So, switching gears back to the to the growing bit. So you've how many years between you just growing at home until you were like, okay, I'm ready for prime time. Well, that was sort of a slow progress too. I. So I started growing in 2009, in 2000, summer of 2010. I had my first job uh, in the industry. Uh, initially at the, a dispensary as a blood tender, uh, I was told I was spending too much time with the patients because I had had such a success with cannabis. I just wanted to talk to people that also needed help. Um, You're a good evangelist. Like yes, thank you. Um, they didn't like that, so they sent me to the grow that they were starting, um, which is where I wanted to be anyway, so it worked out just fine. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think they knew that that's where I wanted to be anyways, but after uh, a few weeks of of helping them start this commercial grow, you know, setting it up and getting it going, uh, when I was promised uh, a lot in terms of uh, working conditions and also compensation, uh, and they weren't delivering, uh, I actually quit that job. I could see how it was going to be. Um, so at that point I, I decided, you know, I want to learn more about this and, and this is where I want to be. And so I started taking horticulture classes and, and adding to my knowledge base. I, I then got a job in the uh, indoor growing uh, supply side of it. So selling all the equipment and nutrients and everything for growers uh, and learning all about that and learning that whole world. Um, and then in 2012, I quit that job. Uh, a family friend, somebody my dad had known uh, since the 60s, had to grow, and so I started working for them. Uh, that was an even worse experience. <laughs> pretty quickly, I actually, you know, turned turned their grow around. A buddy and I got got, you know, they had tons of problems, tons of insects, tons of pests, and it was a classic story where you turn it around and you're getting compensated fairly or below fairly, but still on the fair side. And then as soon as you turn it around, the owner is like, great, uh, now that it's working, you're fired. So what I had that experience. Yeah. And my thought was, well, if this is a, you know, a dear family friend and this is the treatment that I'm getting, then my chances of finding a, a job that sparks my passion that I can do with a good conscience, produce clean product, um, the way that, that I want to do it and the only way that I, I can do it professionally and not burn out, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to start my own. So uh, my friend Evan, who had been the one that encouraged me to uh, smoke with him uh, for my, f my first medical time back in 2009, uh, we began in 2012 working towards seriously towards starting Alpenstash. Uh, we were licensed in 2014 and had our first plants in, in 2015. I love that you started the business with the person who sat down and smoked you out for the first time in that medical, meaningful way. Yeah. 
yeah, it was definitely um, kismet. Know. Yeah, it was it was definitely kismet, and uh, I owe him a lot. Well, so now tell me about Alpenstash. Yeah, so you know we're a small craft farm. Um, we're actually located in Lafayette, Colorado. Uh, my wife and I run it. My wife uh, Murr and I run it, and we have two full time employees, one part time employee, and we're just completely dedicated to. Uh, craft cannabis. Everything we do is by hand. We hand water, hand trim, glass cure. Uh, we actually sell our flower two dispensaries in the glass jars it was cured in. Uh, we use nectar for the gods, a natural and sustainable uh, nutrient system made from rainwater, uh, made with rain- rainwater uh, in Oregon. It's a very uh, natural, I don't like to use the word organic because that's uh, a USDA uh, certification and of course the federal government's not involved in cannabis so mm-hmm. that, that certification doesn't exist and even then there are some downfalls and misleading things with the word organic but uh, we have so we use natural sustainable nutrients um, energy efficient lighting uh, and cooling and really everything we do is dedicated to, to providing the cleanest and best uh, product with the highest level of quality and love that goes into it um, I often say that our Secret ingredient is elbow grease, and uh, you know, and also to that end, part of our ethos and our and our uh, our mission is to help spread passion for growing, and uh, to promote home growers and caregivers too. So you know, we're very transparent with our growing uh, knowledge. Uh, we don't do anything proprietary. Uh, everything we do, we're completely transparent. Uh, we like to share and really empower people and spread the word of craft cannabis. I love that. You know, one of the things that you said that I was kind of silently giggling to myself was, you know, the secret ingredient is elbow grease. When I was growing up on the ranch and my dad had all daughters, so the ranch hands were a bunch of high school girls. And anytime, you know, we're working on something, it was, you need to use more elbow grease. Like, get in there and get that done. So I'm familiar. It's something good to have in your toolkit. Awesome. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, the thing is, is it doesn't matter uh, how much or what you know. It's the application of knowledge that makes the difference. And so, you know, and a lot of times that's doing it by hand, especially when it comes to craft. The majority of, uh, of businesses in this industry and certainly the corporations have the you know, opposite mindset and approach and I mean, just like, you know, farming and ranching, you have the, you know, the people that do it right, and then you have the, you know, commercial ag. Well, and, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, when you're creating a recipe and you do it at home for the first time and you're making a small amount of it and you get that recipe down pat, but then when you're trying to quadruple that recipe and make it for 20 people, it just turns out different. You may not, you're not doing anything different, but the fact that you're creating more of it somehow changes things. So I really love how you're just dedicated to being a craft grower, making small batches, you know, and that also helps drive the value of your flower up because it's like, listen, this is all there is. When this is gone, it's gone kind of a thing. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we also, we don't have the budget to compete with the the big corporations, not that we even if we did that we would 
compete with him. But even if that was a goal, you know, a, a long time ago, I realized that, you know, I would never have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, even millions of dollars uh, to do this. So I, I better be the best at what uh, what I do, and I better, you know, employ and attract people that are as dedicated and as good. And that's, I mean, it's just it's just like beer. You know, I, I say if you have a billion dollars, you can be Coors. But if you got the passion, the knowledge, and the dedication, and the heart, you know, you can be a really successful microbrewery, uh, which, by the way, doesn't really compete with other microbreweries is the beauty of it. You know, us us craft folks, you know, we're all in this together, and, uh, you know, I really love the sense of a con- uh, community and the idea that, you know, steel sharpens steel, and so I don't really feel like you know, in this niche that there's really any competition. Um, I mean, there's friendly competition for sure and striving to make each other better, but there's no, you know, we're not trying to outcompete each other for sales. That's a game that the, uh, the, the corporations play. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a brother and sisterhood for sure. I mean, you see that in the Emerald Triangle or the growers down in Southern California. It's like, you know, they, you try to help the people within your community, you know, grow together because trample all over each other, then the big guy wins and nobody has really great cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we see that, you know, we see that work in with, with beer again, you know, you go, a lot of people, you know, you go to a microbrewery and you have a few, few brews there and then you go across the street to another one and you have some there and like, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, they help each other grow and they help, the that connoisseur class uh that requires you know knowledge and experience to be it requires knowledge and experience to become a connoisseur and you know together you help grow that demand and you help each other provide that right and you're doing that for novice cannabis growers you're empowering people to grow their own cannabis and you've created tutorials on YouTube so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I would be first off such a hypocrite if I didn't want to share what I've learned, you know, helping people spark their passion for growing and, you know, the value that I see uh, therapeutic and fun, but also to to share the experiences that I've had to try to prevent people from uh, experiencing the same pitfalls that I did, you know, first off is, you know, just the things when it comes to technique, but also you know, the misinformation that's out there, uh, especially in the horticulture supply side of things where you have nutrient companies who, you know, for example, I mean, what they recommend you feed your plant. When you think about it, the more that they tell you to feed your plant, the more money they make because the more nutrients you have to buy. So even just starting there, trying to make this fun, affordable, and successful for people uh, is really, I find it very rewarding. And it, it helps us out too, honestly, as a company. You know, if the more people understand exactly how much effort goes into growing craft cannabis, the more people will appreciate it. I really hate when people say, like, oh, it's a weed. It just grows. It's so easy. I know. Um, that pisses me off too. Yeah. It's easy to grow weed. It's really difficult to grow cannabis. So the more people do that, you know, the more that it kind of raises all of us. And I mean, again, I use the beer industry analogy so much because it's so parallel, but the home brewers are not a threat to the craft brewers. And the more people brew at home, the more they understand exactly what it takes 
to produce a high-quality, consistent product. And the more they just get into it and geek out about it and appreciate the people that are doing it on all levels. Exactly. So much of this industry traditionally has viewed home growers and caregivers as a threat. I absolutely don't see it that way. And, you know, it's just sharing sharing what I've learned is such so rewarding that I would do this even if I didn't have uh, Alpen Stash. Being of service feels good. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I owe it to to the plant for, for the help that I received. Well, I appreciate so much you telling us your story. Is there something that maybe I didn't ask you or, you know, something that you might want to add that would kind of round everything out? Uh, yeah, just we're very accessible on social media. You can follow us uh, on Instagram at Alpenstash. That's A-L-P-I-N-S-T-A-S-H. Our website, alpenstash.com. Our YouTube channel, Alpenstash, Facebook. Um, I do a lot of breeding. So we have a lot of unique and new genetics, and we post all about it. And so if people are in Colorado and they want to see what we're growing or what we're doing or where we're dropping, uh, check us out on Instagram. Yeah, when I'm passing through, I definitely want to to get some of your flowers. So on your website, does it show like which dispensaries you're found in? Because of the the nature of our our small drops, uh, those change frequently. We are a first-come, first-serve wholesale company, so we might have one dispensary purchase everything for a round, or we might have a few purchase, you know, everything. So we don't, our our website isn't as active because it changes so frequently. Okay, so socials, where to go? Yeah, we always post about it on Instagram. Well, right on. I will check that out. Any um, shameless plug that that you have? Nectar for the Gods. They've been so supportive of us, of us culture biologics, which make great microbial inoculants and super high quality uh, additives as well. SLF 100 is an enzyme, um, probiotic enzyme. I mean, those companies have all uh, helped us not only with the support and love, but, you know, just inspired us to do what we do. My wife, Krista Murphy, being everything and making Alpenstash uh, what it is today and, and everybody that supported us. I dig it. Now, do you have on your YouTube channel in the tutorials, do you talk about these products that you're using? I do have some of them. Okay. Uh, I, I definitely don't have the full range yet. People can always feel free to reach out to us. We're very good at responding on Instagram and we're happy to answer questions and, and point people in the right directions if we don't know it. Thank you for telling your inspiring story today, and I'm happy to know about Alpenstash. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate this platform and the ability to share it. You know, like you said, you plan to come to Colorado someday when that is a thing that people can do again. So absolutely look us up. We'll try to uh, get some, you know, get a, a way for you to sample some product, too. All right. That sounds wonderful. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Uh-huh, bye-bye. So many players in the cannabis space have deeply personal stories that led them to the industry. And as a storyteller, understanding someone's why reveals a deeper meaning of their actions and trajectory. I'm inspired by Danny's journey. If you are too, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend or family member. 
Alpenstash believes cannabis cultivation should never come at the expense of human health or the health of our planet. Local, sustainable, and artisanal. These things are second nature to the Alpenstash team, and they pride themselves in upholding those values. Alpenstash flowers are always free of toxic chemicals and fed the highest quality, sustainably sourced, natural nutrients available. And above everything, Alpenstash cultivates plants with love, something we can't have enough of in this world. As a canisaur, I hope you'll seek out craft cannabis wherever you live and make an effort to know your farmers. Visit the podcast 138 show notes at casuallybaked.com to learn more about Alpenstash. And you'll find links to a few of their favorite earth and human-friendly growing supplies. I'm currently lining up a social justice series, and I'm asking for your help. We'll talk with The Last Prisoner Project to discuss cannabis criminal justice reform. We'll also chat about the effects of the prison industrial complex with my friend Lorenzo, who spent 32 years behind bars. He's agreed to share his personal experience while inside the prison system. There are so many discussions to have around social justice, but I'm only one person wearing a lot of hats. So if you know someone whose voice needs amplifying, or if you have a message to share, please reach out to me at casuallybaked.com or through one of my social channels. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Together. Together. Yes, Please rate and review Casually Baked the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if you want to help amplify this highly responsible content. Like I always say, your voice matters. And so does this message, my friend. So puff, puff. Pass it on. Yes, is a hard time. We had a hard time together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album Gotta Get Back wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.